Well, good morning, church. I know Dave gave an extended uh, encouragement to be here at game night tonight. Um, so 6.30 to 8.30, love to have you here. Um, I want to make a correction to, Denny made an announcement a few weeks ago that we're going to stay until Rex won. If that's the case, we're done in five minutes. I'm just, I'm just saying. So it's called Christian trash talk if you don't know what's going on. <clears throat> um, actually, I might mention a little bit the attitude of competitiveness later in the message, but it really is the opportunity just to come and connect, have some fun. Uh, movie will be going on in here, games in the big room, and uh, a few snacks floating around here and there, uh, but we'd love to see you tonight. Hey, and as we move towards spring, and it's a little hard to, to start off that sentence, as we move towards spring, after last Sunday and Monday when we were in the 60s, and then we had um, Noah's Ark pass by on Wednesday, along with... Um, Jack Frost, and then we had a snow Saturday morning, and then today, if you're confused, that's okay. Um, We're getting close to spring, and with spring comes along one of my favorite holidays, and some of you say, well, Christmas is your favorite holiday. It is. Easter's right there with it. Uh, The Resurrection Sunday is the greatest thing. You know, we love that Jesus came, but if he doesn't die and resurrect from the dead, we're all in trouble. Uh, so we look forward to celebrating Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday with all of you. It's coming, um, and as you can tell, because this past Wednesday, various denominations celebrate and prepare different ways. So some people do what's called Ash Wednesday, and they celebrate. Uh, some people participate in Lent, so they're giving up something for 40 days. Uh, I know um, Jenny was telling me about a book that she was reading by Wendy Speak, uh, and it wasn't about... Um, Fasting, but feasting. It's 40 days of feasting on God's Word and really digging into God's Word. And, and so everybody does different things in preparation. What does our church do? Uh, well, we, we sort of take these weeks and just really start being to focus on the holiness and the, the just and the loveness of our God and what He did through His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and I want this church to see all who God is and what God has done and just be in all of it. So when that Sunday morning comes, we just sort of step back and say, this is why we're here. Thank you, Jesus. And so we look forward to the coming uh, of Easter. But between now and then, we talked last week about uh, how we are embraced by Jesus, beginning by looking at God the Father who's embraced our condition. He sees our disobedience, he sees our obedience, and he knows we are very fickle as we sort of bounce around in between. But he embraces our condition. He understands that about us. He embraces the plan that he has to save us through his son, Jesus Christ. He embraces us uh, through the pain, the, the, the lies, the betrayal, the, the crucifixion, the beatings. Um, he embraces us with his love, a love that is victorious and eternal. And so as you scan through the Bible and you look at all these men and women of old who maybe went through all these different struggles, they were rejected from friends, they were persecuted maybe by the government, they were thrown in jail, they faced various pains and trials and struggles, but regardless of what happened, life and death, nothing ever separated them from the love of God. Nothing. And that was a big thing that we really hit hard last Sunday on, I want you to understand, nothing can separate us from God's love. From Romans 8, 38 and 39 is where we spent a lot of time, and we talked about how God's love, is, is, as he embraces us, nothing can separate that. Well, we leave church, I go home uh, for just a little bit, grab my gear, 
We're off at the winter retreat. We're up at Machendal, up in Hillsdale, Michigan, uh, having a great retreat. Next morning, Monday morning, I wake up. And understand this, when I do camp, um, the last few years, my roles change. As a director, I usually stay in my own room, you know, with my wife, and there's, that's our room. Um, all the other staff, not all the other, most of the other staff who are like huddle leaders, camp counselors, they're with the kids. Not so with retreat. I'm in a room with a bunch of junior high boys and a few underclassmen and high school kids. So Monday morning I wake up. It's a different feeling when you wake up after being in a cabin with boys all night, right? I went directly to the lodge for coffee. Directly. I mean, I don't know if they've got it brewed yet. I will brew it, okay? I need some coffee. So I go to the lodge, and sure enough, there's the director, Travis. He's in there ready to start the day. And I see Travis all the time when I go up to camp. And it's always a firm handshake, looking in the eyes. Good to see you, Rex. This time, he pulled away from his desk and goes, Rex, good to see you. Can I give you a hug? I'm thinking, we just talked about that yesterday. Bring it in, brother. And then as he's giving me the hug, here's the first thing that came to my mind. It doesn't matter what happened the night before. It doesn't matter how late those boys were up, how loud they were, what noises were made or not made. Okay? It doesn't matter what took place in that cabin, how I'm feeling. It doesn't matter how I feel. I'm embraced by God's love. And nothing can come between that. No matter how you felt Monday morning waking up, no matter where you were in life this past week, no matter what you faced, nothing separates you from the love of God. And I want to make sure that is very clear as we move into this series and and continue uh, to seek out God's Word. Grab your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 17 with me, please. John chapter 17. It's the night Jesus celebrated the Passover. He is with his disciples. The night he was betrayed. The night before he was crucified. We're talking his last moments, his final teachings, uh, his final words with his disciples. He's been with these men for three years now. They've, They've shared and swapped all kinds of stories and life experiences. And now this is it. What are you going to do in your final hours as he's with these men? What, what can he do for any kind of training, discipling? You've only got a few minutes. You've only got a few hours, and then it's all going to change, right? So what does he do? Well, he pours out his heart to them. Chapters 13 through 16, we see as he talks about serving, as he talks about abiding, he gets into the whole, the Holy Spirit's coming and he, he shares all these incredible things. And then in John chapter 17, we read one of the most extended prayers of Jesus Christ. He, he just, and all of a sudden he just stops and says, I'm going to pray. And, and very rarely will you ever find in any of the Gospels where it's like, here's the long prayer that Jesus prayed. Usually it was, and Jesus went off to a place by himself to pray. But here John sort of opens up the door and says, I want you to hear what Jesus prayed for. John chapter 17. And what would he pray for? I mean, he's about ready to be arrested. He knows it. He's about ready to be beaten. He knows it. He's about ready to be crucified. He knows it's coming. And in this, this long recorded prayer, you say, okay, what is he going to pray for? Pray for us. He, he prays for us. I mean, just think about this. Let, let, me, let, me brief, let me sort of give you a different view on this. If you could bring one prayer request to Jesus, what would you say, hey, Jesus, I, I, could you pray for me on this one? 
If he were to join you at your workplace or he's at school with you or he comes to your practice or he comes to your house, he's, he's there in your car with you and he sits down next to you and says, how can I pray for you? What's your prayer going to be? What's your request? This isn't no rub a bottle and the genie pops on and you get three wishes. This is Jesus Christ, Son of God, sitting next to you saying, I'm going to pray for you. How can I pray for you? This is the night that he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified the next day. And he says, uh, before all that goes down, I want to pray for you. I mean, what a mind-boggling thought. I mean, Jesus, God in the flesh, praying for you. You were on his mind. I want to get over dramatic on this, but please think that through. What's going on in his life? And he says, I'm going to pray for you. It amazes me. It never, never stops amazing me what he did for us. I was on his mind the night he was going to get arrested. You were on his mind the night he was going to get arrested. And he has a prayer here. In less than 24 hours and during the darkness of the weight of the sins of this world that are going to be upon him, he says, let's pray. And let's look at part of his prayer here. We're going to start in verse 20. Verse 20 he says this. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. Okay, that's you. For all who will ever believe in Jesus Christ, he's praying for you right here. He goes, through their message. They're all going to be through their message. Now, those disciples probably didn't realize and understand it was going to be a night of betrayal, denial, and deserting, right? And then Jesus is going to be crucified. They don't have the whole book like we do. So they don't know what's coming. And, and then Jesus, they don't know he's going to resurrect from the dead. But once he's resurrected from the dead, now it's like we thought we were done. We're going to go back to our own jobs and we're going to do whatever. But now they're like, no, let's go share the gospel. They didn't know the story. They didn't know that they would start churches. They didn't know that we would be here today because of their faithfulness and obedience. And Jesus says, for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I'm praying right now for the church of True North thanks to what Peter and John's going to do in their life. And then you can just keep going on from there. Just keep substituting. Take our church name out. Put your name in. To me, that's just, that's just amazing. Verse 21, he says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I'm in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you've given to me to be with me where I am then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I've revealed you to them. And I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Jesus prays for us here. He prays for what? That we would be one. 
He, he doesn't say, I pray for my future disciples that they will be rich, that they'll have enough money. I pray for good health. I pray that they'll be free from sickness. I pray that they will have uh, happy lives. I pray that they will have good jobs and knowledge in their life and close-knit families and big churches. And so he doesn't pray that for us. We pray that. God, help me to get this job. God, help me to make the money. Help me to my family to get along together. And what does Jesus say? I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you're going to be one, as the Father and I are one. He, he, we see this three times in Scripture, verse 21, 22, and 23. That he says that they, that's us, will be one, that they, that's us, may be one as we are one, in verse 23, that will experience such perfect unity. He's praying for this, this oneness, that our oneness mimics the oneness of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Remember this, unity does not equal sameness. Sometimes we sort of think, well, we all got to be the same. We all got to agree on this. That's not what we're talking about. Unity and sameness are two different things. Just as God the Father is different than God the Son, God the Son is different than God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit is different than God the Father. They are different, but they are one. We call that the Trinity, there's a uniqueness there in their oneness. This unity is the sameness of purpose, agreement of purpose. It's all these differences that come together and go towards the same goal. Probably one of the easiest ways to describe this is, for, is to go turn on the TV and watch a football game or go watch a bunch of people play a football game, and you're going to see 11 individuals from different ages, different backgrounds, different growing up experiences, right? They look different. They, they like things differently, right? but they're all on the same team working together with some common goal, common purpose to move that ball 80 yards down the field and get it in, believe they started on the 20, get it into the end zone, right? That, that's, that's that unity. That's that oneness. They're different, but there's oneness working towards a common goal. And it's, you look at this and it's like, well, why does Jesus pray for this? Why does Jesus pray that we are one? Why does Jesus pray that we are unified? He gives the answer right in his prayer. I pray that they'll be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. He prays that our unity results in the world being saved. It's as if Jesus envisions every race, every language, every ethnic group before his throne. Young, old, social um, life level, all different, whatever it might be. But they're all together worshiping God before his throne. And Jesus prays that we will rise above our differing backgrounds, our, our different bringing up, and that we will come together in unity so that we will worship him together. Salvation is not just for one nation of people like, well, that group, they're the only ones that are going to go to heaven. No, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and son, right? You can finish off John 3, 16. He loved the world. That's why we reach out to unreached people. Why do, we, why do we support missionaries in foreign countries? Why do we encourage people to go to neighborhoods and places where people don't know Jesus? Why do, we, why do we call up another church and say, hey, you guys want to work together? Because we want to work in unity so that others will come to believe and know who Jesus Christ is. There are times when I was in the Dominican Republic, and um, we'd go to a church on a Sunday. And it would be a room probably about the size of the lobby out there. No walls, open spaces on the ends. And we're in there, and... 
the pastor would start preaching, people would be singing, and everything's in Spanish, and I'd have no clue what's going on. And I'm just, I'm sitting there going, I, I, I don't know what they're saying. But I felt the Spirit of God. There was something about being there as they, as they, as they sang and as the preacher preached. You know, I'd, I was like, well, I don't know what he's saying, so I'll just open up your word and just read. And, and, but, you know, you could sense that it's like, this is family. I have no clue what my brothers and sisters are saying, but it's family. About 10 years ago, I was with a gentleman by the name of Loshra Yukama. He's from the Ukraine. He was on staff with FCA. We'd spent a week together on a team. And, and um, there was one night when we were gathered together praying, and, and somebody said, hey, Loshra, can you, can you please pray in your native language? And, uh, and, and at that time, he was, it was in Russian. So as, as he prayed, it was like, I have no clue what he just said. But I could feel how God was at work. That's what I'm talking about. There's, there, there's, we're different races. We're different nations. We're different ethnic groups. We're different backgrounds. And Jesus, I pray that you'll be one. As if he's envisioning all that happening before the throne. And he prays that we will have this, this unity so that people will believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I mean, that's, everybody loves a good worship band, a good worship team, right? Or, or a pastor that can, that can share a message or a Bible study. We know how instrumental that is to growth. And we know youth groups are important. And we know uh, we all like nice buildings. And those are all great things. But listen, Jesus said our unity is what's going to change lives. A building doesn't change a life. A pastor doesn't change a life. A band won't change a life. A clever program will not change a life. But our unity is a major factor in the world believing in the gospel. Do all these other things matter? They do. But Jesus doesn't pray for, I want to pray right now for all the future pastors, that they will clearly preach the gospel. He didn't pray that. He didn't, he didn't pray that. I pray for all the worship bands that they won't be too loud and they won't be too soft, that they'll play the right song, that they'll have a good mix between hymns and pop and whatever. He didn't pray that. What did he pray? That we will be one as he is one with the Father so that the world will believe. If Jesus is praying for unity, think about this. If Jesus is praying for unity, what do you think the devil wants? The opposite, right? Disunity. He wants conflict. If he can disrupt anything that's coming together, he will do it. There are so many tools the devil will use to create conflict. Um, some are physical, some are obviously spiritual, right? Here's a, here's a simple physical conflict that created disunity this past uh, Thursday here at the food pantry. Um, it was just a, a language barrier. On occasion, when we have our food pantry, somebody might come through and they don't speak English. So it might be once um, one or two a month, maybe, okay? And, and in those occasions, I try to use the, my this much, muy poco, right? Very little Spanish. And I'm like, um, hola, uh, dos, choisosos. Okay. I, I learned back in high school, you just add O to the end of every word, and that was the Spanish word for it. Okay, uh, that's why I didn't do very well the first couple of weeks in Spanish class. And I said, that's not how it works. Okay. So I'm like, I have no idea how to use the, the word for choice in Spanish. But anyway, you get two, pick two. Okay. Dos. You know, and it's like it was frustrating because I, I want to be able to communicate. Why? Because if I can communicate not just what to pick, I can also share my faith. But I can't. And that's frustrating to me. And this Thursday, it wasn't just one. It was like five, six, seven, eight 
people came through one after another. Nobody spoke any English whatsoever. And I was like, I just need somebody who can translate. And so if you're out here and you are fluent in Spanish and you have nothing going on on Thursdays, 11 to 1, it's like, I could come in and help on occasion. I can't tell you when I'm going to need you, but I do know this. I was frustrated because there was a barrier there. And I couldn't do anything about it. Now, fortunately, there's a couple other people that were there serving. They, they knew just a little bit more than I knew. Then we made it. It's all good. Everybody got their food. It was a beautiful day. But wouldn't it have been maybe just a little bit better if there wasn't that barrier? So sometimes we have physical barriers that keep us from, from really clicking and working together. But then the devil says, oh, but you know what? There's some spiritual things I'm going to toss you away. Here's one of the first ones. Selfishness. Selfishness deters unity. It's true in marriage relationships. It's true in business relationships and friendships. And certainly, selfishness can creep into a church. In your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You got First and Second Corinthians. You got all these little books, and Philippians is right in there. Philippians chapter two. I'm going to start in verse one. And, and as the apostle writes this, listen carefully to these words. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? You guys fired up about being Christians? Yeah. Any comfort from his love? Oh, yeah. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Absolutely. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Yes, they are. Then make me truly happy, he says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Unity. Loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Paul's like, man, if, you, know, you know what would really make me happy? If we would just all work together. Look what he says in verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Verse 4. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in others too. That's a frustrating one for me because sometimes in a conversation, I might be quick to say, hey, let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you about my trip. Let me tell you about this. And it's like, I forget to ask you, hey, how was your day? What is going on in your life? And I walk away thinking, man, that was selfish of me. I didn't even ask how they're doing. And we read here, don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Let's face it, we're selfish at times. We want to have it our own way. Our egos get in the way. And when that happens, guess what happens? Unity crumbles. Unity requires a dying to self. I see teams all the time that I work with crumble all the time. You know why? Because there's somebody on the team that refuses to be selfless. They want all the points, all the stats, all the attention, whatever it may be. It's got to be all about them. They got to be the one talking and doing something all the time because they refuse to let somebody else have the spotlight. You can't have a team when that happens. Just teams don't exist. Selfishness hurts unity. So sometimes we got to do a little check in our lives and say, Jesus is praying that we are one. He's praying for unity. So do a little self-check. Am I a selfish person? Do I need to work on that? Here's, an, here's another one. You maybe don't see this as a sin, but sometimes we misunderstand our role in life when it comes to unity. Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, um, I really don't matter to this church. I don't have any gifts that I can use up front on Sunday morning, and I don't like working with kids. I mean, not that I don't like kids. I just know my gift, and that's not it. You know, and it's like, so I really have nothing to offer this church, so my role really doesn't matter. I don't matter. That's a lie. That's a lie. You do matter, first of all, okay? 
let me, let me use this as a little fun example, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give um, an ingredient and a month of, of the year. If uh, this is your birthday month, for instance, how many January birthdays? Raise your hand. January, January, January. Okay, so your ingredient is butter, okay? Now, February, I'll give you a different one and so forth. So just listen carefully for your birth month, okay? And listen for your ingredient. That's the ingredient you're going to shout out at the end when I tell you. Everybody understand? Okay, so here we go. February, butter for January, remember? January, you got what? Butter. Okay. February, you got onion. March, your flour. April, your half and half cream. May, your chicken stock. June, your broccoli. I don't know, in my mind I'm saying, chop broccoli. Anybody remember that one? Okay, okay. All right. Uh, July, <laughs> that's a bad tangent to go. Okay, July, you got carrots. August, nutmeg. Follow me? Okay, September, sharp cheddar cheese. October, your salt. November, you got pepper. December, raise your hands. Who's my, who's my birthday month here? All right. Hey, we got uh, the wonderful crusty bread. That's us. I know. Crusty bread. All right. Okay, on the count of three, I'm going to go one, two, three. You're going to call out your ingredient. Okay, ready? Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't catch any. I think somebody shouted onion over here, maybe. Uh, let's try that again, because I really didn't catch any. I didn't, it made no sense. It's total chaos. Okay, let's try this again. Okay, one, two, three. Yeah, still total chaos. Did anybody catch anybody else's ingredients? Nothing, right? Let me, let me, let me bring us together. Let's unify this. Let me hear you say the word soup on, on the count of three. Sorry. <laughs> Dramatic pause gets you every time. Okay, on the count of three, let me hear you say soup. One, two, three. Was that clear, yes or no? Absolutely, okay. So what I gave you was the ingredients to uh, Panera Bread's cho- broccoli cheddar soup. So that was your ingredients. So here's what happens. You gave me all the ingredients, and they were just really chaotic, right? So when I go up to the counter and, and I order this soup, I walk up to the counter and I say, Hi, I would like, uh, if you could throw this into a bowl, I would like some broccoli, some carrots, some nutmeg, some sharp cheddar cheese. Oh, don't forget the crusty bread. Um, and also salt, pepper, onions, butter. No, I don't do that. When I walk up to the counter, I walk up to the counter and say, can I have a bowl of your broccoli cheddar cheese soup, please? That was it. See, I want the end ingredient. I don't want all the individual ingredients. And that's what our problem is. We want all the individual ingredients to stick out so we can know. And Jesus said, I'm just praying for unity. I want one bowl. I want unity. I want you to come together because I love the end product. I don't want all this individualism taken off and thinking, well, the, the nutmeg is so much better than so forth and so on, right? Here's the thing. With our, our church and our families and in our lives as individuals, each of you have a role. Each of you are an ingredient. And, and I was just talking with somebody a little bit ago and I was just sort of like, but this is my role. And I said, yeah, exactly. You are the pinch of salt. You may not think your role matters, but you're the pinch of salt. We didn't, if that ingredient call, you know, doesn't call for a cup of salt, maybe just a little bit of salt, right, a teaspoon of salt. But can you imagine some of us were like, hey, it's all about me, so I'm going to dump a lot of myself into this. And it's like pouring two cups of salt into something that should not be poured in there. And it's like you just ruined it all because you have too much of an ingredient. All you need is just a little bit of that. That's all you need. And some of us are just this. Some of us are a little bit more. Regardless of what your role is, without you, it's incomplete. Even if it is just a pinch. Every ingredient matters. And if you don't agree with that, you're being disobedient. 
And what I mean by that is Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship. We are created. We are new in Christ, created to do these good things that he planned long ago. Jesus said, listen, you've got value. You're my masterpiece. You're my work of art. You matter. I've got plans for you. And if you're sitting there saying, I don't matter, and God has nothing for me, then you're disobedient to this scripture right here. You do matter. You have incredible value. And when you understand that, you remove one of those barriers from uh, disunity. Here's a third barrier that can create disunity, and that's prejudice. You know, sometimes our human nature... This is sort of the way it is. We just like being around people that are just like us. And if we see somebody that's not like us, we, we judge them, we look at them differently, and we say, man, I, I don't know. There's just something different about them. It's not maybe just the color of their skin or, or their, their ethnic background. It might be their social background. It might be where they work. There might be something different about them. And we sort of, sort of tune them out because, well, they're not like us. Prejudice has no place in the body of Christ, period. Okay. No place whatsoever. I'm not going to extend on that one. I'm just going to say this. I've, I've shared three different things that can create some disunity. They can be barriers to unity. Are any of them you? Are you challenged by any of those? Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, I, I would encourage you right where you're at right now, just like confess it. Humbly confess and say, you know what? Here's what repentance is. Repentance is when you're going in the wrong direction, you stop and you say, I'm going in the wrong direction. Father, forgive me. I've, I've blown it. And what happens at that point in time is you repent, you turn, and you go in the right direction. If what you've been doing and what you've been living has been sinful, we repent, we say we're sorry. But then, guys, let's move in the right way. What's the right way? What creates unity? What, what are some things, some evidence? You know, I say, well, what does unity look like practically? What can I, what can I work on? Because I, I don't want to deal with all these other things. Here's the first one, Romans 12, 10. It's one of my favorite verses. Um, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, why do I like that much? Because it's got a word right smack dab in the middle. It sounds very competitive. Okay, like tonight when we're playing, I'm going to be applying this verse, okay? The outdo. Okay, um, skip bow. I don't care. Bring it. I'm going to outdo. No, I'm just kidding. So here's the thing with outdo. When I see that word, first my thought was competitive. But you know what? It's actually a leadership word. The word actually means uh, to go before, to show the way, to go before and lead, to go before as a leader. Question is, who's going to take charge? Who's going to step up and say, I'm going to lead the way in showing honor to my Christian brothers and sisters? I'm going to lead the way in showing value to my brothers and sisters. Who is going to outdo one another in showing love to the other person? Showing honor, it's like, what is honor? It's showing value. It's me looking at you and saying, you have incredible value. And so I'm going to try to outdo everybody in making sure you know that you have value. I love this because, again, it's, it's opposite of the normal competitive spirit. As a competitor, I get it. In sports, what do we try to do when we compete? We're trying to outdo other people. We're trying to beat people, right? So when that happens, that means I'm probably going to step on this person, this opponent, so I can be victorious. I mean, that's what we do in this world if you're, if you're a competitor. And I understand that. But spiritually speaking, when we compete, we have to remember, it's not about us. It's not. Paul says, you want to compete? Compete in showing honor. Show the people they have value. So when you look at somebody, if you got like, oh, you rank them on a one to 10, one, they don't have much value, 10, they're pretty valuable people. Every person you walk up to, picture a 10 on their forehead. 
They have incredible value. That means that every person I meet, think about this, is someone that Jesus died for. That person that you don't like, that person that cut you off, guess what? Jesus died for that person. That means that every person that you run across and you shake hands with, guess what? That person you just shook hands with was created in the image of God. And that means that every person I look in the eye with, that person, that person matters to God. See, where, where there is honor, there is great unity. And when we meet people, we have to remember, they have value. Show them they have value. That's when unity takes place. Another one, another evidence of unity is shown in generosity. Being a generous person. When you go to Acts chapter 4, and you read through how the early church started, all the believers, look at this, they were united in heart and mind. Here's this unity, and look what happens. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them. There was no needy person among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This, you know, the Bible always links unity and generosity together. You've got to look carefully at this. They were united in heart and mind, and they shared everything they owned. I mean, it's just obvious how generosity will breed unity, right? It's such a good thing. Here's another thing. Evidence uh, of unity is shown when we have a clear purpose. A clear purpose. If you have a clear purpose and a common goal, you're going to see unity. What is our, what is our common goal? What is, what is our purpose at this church? Our purpose is the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. And then the great commission then is to go and make disciples of every nation. We are called to be obedient to God, to love God, to worship him with everything we got, and then let's go love one another and let's share Jesus with everyone. That's our goal. That's our purpose of this church. And when we're all on that same page, there is unity in the body. Well, we want to be the church that has the largest. No, it's not about having the largest whatever. It's about loving God, loving others, and making disciples. All these other things can happen, but if we're trying to make something else our mission, it's going to tear apart the direction of our church. This is our clear common goal. And finally, there's evidence seen in unity when we appreciate diversity. Appreciate diversity. It's the difference between a farm and a zoo. I grew up on a farm. We only had one or two kinds of animals on the farm. But you go to the zoo, there's all kinds of animals. You know, people don't pay money to go to a farm. They pay money to go see a zoo. They pay money to see diversity. I love it. I love zoos. I think they're awesome. There's just so much diversity going on. And then here's the thing. That's the body of Christ. We are so diverse. We're so different. We're, it's compared to the body, the human body in Scripture. Romans chapter four, uh, 12, verses 4 and 5 say this. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We're many parts, one body, but we all belong to each other. It's like... God says, you know what, you want to look at a picture of unity? Look at the body, the human body, how it functions together. That's how the body of Christ should be. 
It's just sort of like this. It's like I wake up one day and it's my legs say, hey, I don't want to walk. But my rest of my body says, I want to walk. But my other body's trying to move forward. My legs say, no. It's like, come on, legs, let's go. And then my stomach says, well, I'm hungry. And my, my, my hands say, well, I'll help you out. But my brain says, I don't want to eat. My mouth says, I'm not opening up today. But my hand says, well, I'm still going this way because stomach's hungry. So I'm just going to shove the food into my face. But it goes up all against my face because my mouth refused to open. So now my face is a big mess. And my hands are really mad that my mouth wouldn't open. So my hands refuse to wipe it off. But my feet are very compassionate. So they come up and they start wiping my face. That's a dysfunctional body right there, isn't it? Some of you are like, you are dysfunctional, Rex. Okay, so, but that's the whole, when the body is like, I'm doing my own thing. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. Well, I don't like what you, it's, that, that's, can you imagine the human body working that way? The way the human body should work is, I go to grab a knife, I grab an apple, I go to slice the apple, and I cut my finger. My, I see with my eyes, I see blood. I feel the nerves. I, I feel like there's a little pain going on there, okay? My, my feet say, hey, let's get our feet moving here. We got to get to the first aid kit. We get to the first aid kit. My hand says, I got this. Grabs the Band-Aid, start wrapping up. And everything's, everything's working together because the body got hurt. That's unity. That's the body of Christ. Instead of tearing apart and refusing to work with each other, we work together for the common goal, the common purpose, so that the world may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why we're here. And when I look at this whole thing, and worship team, you can come on forward. When I, when I look at this, I'm thinking, so why did Jesus pray for unity? Be, because when God's people come together as a team to achieve a common goal, and our unified efforts, a divine power is transformed through us into this world to change lives for eternity. It's an amazing thing. And we assume that, well, I don't have any conflict in, my, in our church right now, so everything must be unified. You know what? Unity doesn't come passively. It takes effort to be a team. Ask any coach. Ask any business leader. Ask any teacher. It takes work to be a team, to function together. Ask any family that's got a lot of kids. We're going to work together. It takes effort. That's why I believe God said in Ephesians 4 or 3, make every effort to keep yourselves unified in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort for unity. It's hard work. But I believe we see the benefits of what can happen when the church says, let's work together like the body. Let's, let's function together so that the world will know who Jesus Christ is. There's a lot of inspiring movies out there. A lot of good books. I, I love any good story that has a teacher, a coach, a, somebody who takes a group of misfits or people that just can't work together, and by the end of the movie, by the end of the story, they're all working together. It's like, oh, I love those stories. And that's what Jesus was praying for a couple thousand years ago, that our story would be inspiring to others as he looks and he says, I prayed for you. I, I'm, a, I'm about ready to be beaten. I'm about ready to be put on a cross. I'm about ready to sacrifice myself for your sins. And what am I praying for you for? I'm not going to pray for your marriage. I'm not going to pray for your wealth. I mean, I want that in your life. I, I want good things to happen in your life. Don't get me wrong. But I want you to be one. As the Father and I are one, I want you to be one with me. Would you stand, please? That oneness with God, that unity is a precious thing. And I think there's a lot of times, you know, we see conflict and we're like, I don't want to deal with conflict or we don't know how to handle conflict. And there's, so there's going to be some disunity. And you ever have those moments when you're just like, all right, you know what? We just got to talk this out. And you might, come here, come here. 
I need to give you a hug. You're like, I don't want a hug. We get stiff as a board because we're mad because there's just, I think there's times in our lives when we just got to stop and say, you know what? God, I can't do this without you. Can you please embrace me with your forgiveness? Embrace me with your love so that I can embrace those that I'm struggling with. Because my oneness, my working with others is not going to be able to be done on my own. I need him to help me. And I think that's why he was praying for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. You love us so much. You sacrificed for us. You prayed for us that we would be one so that the world will know who you are. God, I believe the world looks at churches, looks at Christians, and they laugh sometimes. They don't want anything to do with Christianity because they see how sometimes we are not working together, how we're not loving one another, how we're not serving together. Forgive us, Lord, if our disunity, our conflict, our church squabbles, our relationship issues has caused people to not know you. Forgive us. Help us, Lord, instead to live a life in unity, making every effort so that the world will know you. Lord, if we got problems right now with somebody in this church or somebody at home or somewhere, Lord, I pray that you reveal to us how we can resolve this conflict. Lord, help us as a church to make every effort to work towards our common goal, Lord, a common purpose of loving you, loving others, and sharing you with those in need. We want people to know you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can worship you today. You're so good. We love you. In thy name we pray. Amen.